This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Happy Wednesday, everyone. Thanks for hanging out with us. We appreciate you. Uh, Don't we, though? I mean, every single day you decide, is my mic loud? No, that was just like a big breath of like a sigh of stress or relief. No, I'm just honestly shocked that everyone keeps coming back and listening to the show. You know, today we found out how many people really listen to Channel Q, and I have to say, shocked. Really shocked. You're impressed. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so thank you. You're part of you're part of a movement. Let's just put it that way. Oh God. Sure. We're taking over. Don't start singing kumbaya, please. Let's just like not go down that road. But seriously, we express our gratitude just like we did yesterday, and we will continue to do it because we got a lot of show to get into, and you're gonna stick with us. Oh, we do. Coming up on today's show, why you instantly dislike certain people, according to science, and what to do about that. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's true. Plus, why Zoom is making people get plastic surgery. We're going crazy out there, folks. But let's get into some what's trending this hour. Okay, so we've got some real news here for you. As Georgia continues to be the focus of the Senate race, Democratic candidate for Georgia Senate John Ossoff spoke out about Republican rivals, Senators Kelly Leffler and David Perdue. As we run against like the Bonnie and Clyde of political corruption in Washington. How did we wind up with David and Kelly? And again, the Georgia Senate runoffs will be held January 5th. And let me tell you, Uh, It's a tight race and they've got the national spotlight on them, that's for sure. But these folks, I mean, both Purdue and Leffler, the stuff that's been coming out about them and like what they say and like from their debates to interviews to them being on stage, it's just, again, a lot. It's a lot. But let's move on because this is actually some breaking news. President-elect Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden, revealed he is under investigation by the top federal uh, prosecutor in Delaware for his taxes. And this comes five days before Joe Biden is expected to be formally selected as the next president by the Electoral College. President Trump was impeached in 2019 for pressuring Ukraine to investigate the Bidens as he withheld military aid to that nation. Now, Hunter Biden did say this in a statement. I learned yesterday for the first time that the U.S. Attorney's Office in Delaware advised my legal counsel also yesterday that they are investigating my tax affairs. I take this matter very seriously, but I'm confident that a professional and objective review of these matters will demonstrate that I handled my affairs legally and appropriately, including with the benefit of professional tax advisors. Now, the Biden transition team has also made a statement saying, 
President-elect Biden is deeply proud of his son, who has fought through difficult challenges, including the vicious personal attacks of recent months, only to emerge stronger. And finally, after President Trump tweeted that no U.S. president has ever won both Florida and Ohio, but lost the presidency, journalists and fact checkers from Snopes, The Washington Post and the BBC have now pointed out that, well, that's not true, actually. Uh, Richard Nixon won both states, but then lost the presidency to John F. Kennedy in 1960. Are we really shocked that he is on Twitter still telling lies? I mean, no, not really. Shut his account down, please. What are they waiting for at this point? We'll see. And I'm sure, uh, what's that? Oh, the platform Parler will be waiting. And that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? All right, let's dive into the T-Report, those pop culture stories that are trending right now. You know, RuPaul's Drag Race came out with a very big announcement, of course, on January 1st. They're starting 2021 right with the 13th season. It's going to be premiering. And with it will come the first trans-masculine contestant to enter the workroom. Now, that performer will be Got Mick, who follows season nine's uh, Peppermint, as a second trans performer uh, ever to compete on the regular season on this show that has spoken openly about their gender since the casting announcement. So this is a huge moment. He is a trans man. Here's a clip of his Meet the Queens moment because he is fabulous. Hi, I'm Gottmik. I'm 23 years old and I'm from Los Angeles, California. People always think it's Got Milk, which it's obviously supposed to look like that, but I really didn't know how easy it was for people to just automatically think it was milk. And I feel like I'm correcting all the time. Got Mick, Mick, whatever you want. I'll turn around to anything. Don't Google it, please. <laughs> I moved to LA originally to go to fashion school and then my makeup career just kind of took off weirdly unexpectedly and I never really looked back. It's definitely different painting myself than other people. Sometimes I forget, especially if I'm in a rush and I'll literally like grab someone's head and like shove them. And I'm like, oh I think the biggest misconception about me is that I can only do makeup. People are like, oh, I've seen their makeup, but what else, baby? So yeah, he's well, he's a pretty well-known figure in drag and in makeup, actually. And you're probably familiar with his work because he most recently saw, um, he actually most recently put Little Nas X in drag as Nicki Minaj for the Halloween, for his Halloween costume, which I mean, that was a complete slay. So I am so excited to see this new season and it's going to be everything. January 1st, 2021, I have something to look forward to. Oh, yes. A lot of people will be enjoying this. We'll be covering it all here on Let's Go There. And good job. I'm, I'm happy that they're evolving the show because I keep hearing how problematic everything is, like from our guests to the previous contestants. So something's got to happen. It seems like they're doing something about that. Mm-hmm. That's your team report. Now, coming up on the show, we've got more updates on a possible stimulus package. Mark Fisher, senior editor of The Washington Post, joins us for that next. Let's Go There with Shira and Ryan. The new Channel Q. The Trump administration is proposing an economic relief package that would be far less in terms of federal unemployment benefits. You know, it's not even close to the $908 billion bipartisan bill proposed. So where do we go from here? Well, back with us is senior editor from The Washington Post, Mark Fisher. Thanks for joining us. Great to be with you, Shira. So what is being proposed exactly by Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin? Well, it's a much smaller package than either what happened last spring or what the Democrats wanted or what the bipartisan group of senators uh, had proposed. And so uh, what it means for 
rank and file, ordinary, unemployed people who've been suffering as a result of the coronavirus epidemic is instead of the $300 a week of unemployment benefits that this bipartisan group proposed, the president has come along and said, no, we want to give you a one check for 600 bucks, a stimulus check, and that's it. So it's an enormous difference. It's, it may, he may be trying to kind of pull one over on people and say, hey, $600 is more than $300. Mm-hmm. But we're talking about one check versus $300 a week. And so what that adds up to is $40 billion versus $180 billion, an enormous difference. The Democrats say it's a non-starter. Uh, the Republicans on the Hill are not too happy about it either. Uh, and so the negotiations that looked like they were coming toward a resolution now are have taken a couple of steps back which is so interesting because wasn't at trump at one point he was actually fighting and tweeting about wanting another round of stimulus checks as much as two thousand dollars at one point so what has changed what's the difference and is he kind of lashing out because of the election like how you know, we just never know. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, Ryan. There's no way to know exactly what's going on. Uh, but uh, we do know that the president has not exactly been keen to have any large uh, stimulus here. Uh, and uh, most Republicans on the Hill agree with him that they don't want uh, to do anything of the size of what happened last spring, which really kind of brought the economy back from the dead, at least temporarily. Uh, so it's uh, it's it's unclear. And uh, this is a Congress that wants to go home for Christmas. And that's a factor, as is the fact that uh, the government will shut down if they don't do something Uh, right quickly. It looks like later today they will pass a one-week postponement of the budget deadline. Uh, So the closing of the government, which might have happened this Friday, will be pushed back a week, uh, which would give them a little time to negotiate this. But given everything that's happening in the courts and in politics uh, generally around the election, uh, this is not a time when people on the Hill are feeling all hunky-dory about each other. Yeah, definitely. Senior editor Mark Fisher from The Washington Post joins us right now. Well, yeah, couldn't this be just like an emergency bill? And then they say, okay, this will just be for this month. Next month, we're going to reapproach this. Would that make sense? Well, that, that's certainly what Joe Biden has been saying, uh, that uh, whatever they do now, he's, he, he agrees with uh, Democrats and many Republicans that they need to do something now because uh, the country is going to uh, fall off something of an economic cliff at the end of this month if they don't do something, because you have millions of people who are facing evictions, uh, who are having trouble getting food on the table. Uh, this is getting quite dire. Uh, so they have to do something now, but Biden's plan is to come back in January after he takes office with a much larger uh, support plan. Yeah, and it seems like economists are kind of split in the middle here. Some are saying that, you know, people are prospering uh, economically and others are saying that we are really reaching a point of a crisis. What are you hearing as far as economics and what they're economists and what they're saying about our economy? Well, I think uh, they're generally on the same page about uh, the fact that, yes, there are some people who are doing well. If you look at the stock market, you think, uh, you know, you look at people who own stocks, people who have that kind of money. Uh, have actually done quite well this year. Uh, But for the great majority of people who are not in such a fortunate position, uh, this has been a rough year, if not a calamitous year. And that is quite clear in the number of the millions of people who are in danger of losing their homes, the protections against evictions that were in that first stimulus bill, uh, presumably would be renewed in this new one, but you got to get the bill through in order for that protection to continue. Otherwise, landlords can start kicking people out at the 
end of this month. Uh, so that's quite a Christmas present for much of the country to await, in addition to which uh, the fact is that unemployment benefits are running out and food is in short supply in some areas of the country. Uh, and so it's a pretty dire situation for many people. Like, I guess House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Senate Minority Leader Charles Schumer spoke out against this entire thing. What is the overall sentiment from Democrats right now from your story? Well, Democrats are, uh, you know, this is not a a great time for them because they're tremendously frustrated that they're not able to move ahead with their own proposals. Uh, They're not in power as yet. It won't be till January 20th that uh, Biden takes office. And uh, although the House majority will continue, it looks like the Democrats will not be able to win control of the Senate unless some uh, miracle happens in Georgia uh, in in those two elections on January 5th. And so uh, although there will be divided government, I think the Democrats are really looking forward to a point where at least they're the ones making the proposals. They're the ones setting the budget parameter. But until then, the Republicans are in control and they are very much a house divided. All right. That was senior editor from The Washington Post, Mark Fisher. Thanks so much. Great to be with you. Now, coming up next, more details on a new Trump rule that gives federal contractors a license to discriminate against LGBTQ plus people. The ACLU joins us for that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Donald Trump's Department of Labor issued a final rule allowing federal contractors increased rights to discriminate against racial minorities, women and LGBTQ people if they claim that their businesses' religious beliefs would be violated by following anti-discrimination laws. I mean, really? Okay, joining us right now to break it all down is Amanda Goad, who's an LGBTQ rights attorney at the ACLU SoCal. Thanks again for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Can you explain why this came up right now? Yeah, this is unfortunately part of a pattern where the Trump administration has done a number of different things to try to promote the use of religion as a license to discriminate. And that very often impacts the LGBTQ community. But like you said, Sherry, it's it's beyond just us. It's also potentially race discrimination and sex discrimination that they're supporting as well, which is really sad. So that's what we've seen historically from other Republican presidents, right, in history. Can we talk a little bit about that? Who else have who else has done something like this? Well, that's true, but this what's been going on lately is just above and beyond mm. what has happened in other stages of history. The first round of trying to make sure that people who were working for federal contractors for businesses that do business with the government would be protected from discrimination. That goes all the way back to President Johnson in the 60s. And he was a Democrat. But, you know, those protections stayed in place through Nixon and Reagan and some folks we don't think of as civil rights heroes. This is really a pretty basic expectation that if you're going to take government funds, you need to be respecting everybody and treating all your workers equally. And unfortunately, this current administration has chosen to take big steps backwards. Yeah. Again, you're hearing from Amanda Goad right now, LGBTQ rights attorney at the ACLU SoCal. That said, can't Biden at this point just reverse this? I mean, we're almost at the end here. How easy will it be just to say, like, this isn't going to happen when he comes into office? Absolutely. The Biden-Harris administration can and should undo this. There's going to be some process. It's going to take a while, but they can and should turn this back right away because a lot of people have the potential to be hurt by it. Depending on how you count, something like 20 to 25% of American businesses do some kind of contract with the federal government from time to time. So we're talking about a lot of people potentially losing protections. 
And, you know, there's going to be a lot to undo, frankly, when the new administration comes in. But if, if this doesn't get addressed quickly, the ACLU and others are looking at all our legal options to try to get it fixed. Yeah. So can you break this down? So can businesses just use this as an excuse to to not serve people? Are, are there specific guidelines that even they have to follow? Like, what do they have to do to be able to use this, unfortunately? Good question. So this is specifically talking about businesses that are doing business with the federal government that have some kind of contract, but that is a huge range that could be anything from, you know, a huge corporation that sells airplanes to the military to potentially a very small landscaping business that mows the grass on some piece of federal property. Mm. And this is saying that any entity, whether it's a nonprofit or a for-profit, if they are called out for discriminating against someone, they can say, oh, but it's cool. It's because of my religious beliefs. And that would be a free pass. Again, we have concerns about whether this even fits with other layers of the law. And I think it's possible that they would not be able to get away with it. But the feds are trying to say that if you just cite religion as your reason, you as a federal contractor are allowed to discriminate. So it's not like the cake shop situation. Mm. Like, how is it different from that? Like, it's not just regular businesses. Great question. To me, this is all part of a trend of trying to increase people's ability to use religion as an excuse to discriminate and specifically to say that as a for-profit business, you can also claim to be a religious entity. Gross. You know, there's, there's a difference between making money and being a faith community. And I think for a lot of people, this is just sort of difficult to comprehend that you could try to claim both at one time, but that's part of what's going on. And it's, it's playing out in a lot of different ways. There's also this case recently heard by the Supreme court about whether the city of Philadelphia was within its rights to stop working with Catholic charities in Philadelphia, which had been participating in the foster care system, but then it came to light that they're not willing to work with same-sex couples. And the city said, well, if you're going to discriminate, you don't get to be in the government program and take the government money anymore. And unfortunately, the federal government took Catholic charity's side in that fight. And I think the situation with workers and whether they are protected as workers for federal contractors, it's a version of the same thing the Trump administration is trying to realign the balance between the rights of individual workers and the rights of business owners who claim religion as a license to do whatever they want. And again, this, this rule that came out this week, it's, it's unsurprising because it's part of this bigger pattern, but it's also very much a departure from longstanding law. And I, we don't think it's, it's gonna stand in the long term. All right. Well, that was Amanda Goad from uh, ACLU SoCal. She's an LGBTQ rights attorney. Thank you so much. Now, coming up on the show, can your employer require you to get a vaccine? We tell you the latest next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Can your employer require you to get a COVID-19 vaccine? Now, this is a question that's going to definitely come out more and more as vaccines become more readily available. And would you be okay with that, Ryan? Would you be okay with our employer saying like, yeah, we all need to get the vaccine? There's no choice. For sure. I think the only people who would have an issue with this are anti-vaxxers. And to be quite honest, I don't want to work with them anyway. (laughs) Fair enough. But oddly enough, uh, this is something that is rare. Like it's rare to have a federal vaccine mandate. And it actually hasn't happened since like the only time it's happened 
was, I guess, in 1905, there was a Supreme Court case that upheld a state's compulsory smallpox vaccination law. So, so this is totally rare for there to be a federal mandate or a law that makes basically says that you need to get a vaccine. And even our favorite, and you might be surprised about this, Dr. Anthony Fauci in August, he said he would definitely not support a nationwide mandate on the COVID-19 vaccine. He said, we don't want to be mandating from the federal government to the general population. It would be unenforceable and not appropriate. So of course, if we're not going to see it federally, then it goes to like, is it okay at a state level or at the employer level? And could that be considered discrimination? Yeah. So it's going to be very tricky here because there's been so many like health law professors speaking about this, kind of giving their thoughts in this one man, his name is Lawrence Gostin. He was quoted in a Huffington, a Huffington Post article. Um, he works at Georgetown University. And he, he talked about, like, obviously, it makes sense for employers to ask for this, right? They're not breaking any laws. Um, they're not discriminating on the basis of gender and or race or disabilities, but employees do have rights as well. And so it's going to start getting into that tricky area where folks are going to have to, like employers are going to have to pay folks to, you know, for their time to go get the vaccine and like all of these things. But it still feels like at the end of the day, employees need to get it, especially if we're going back to work in similar spaces and we know how deadly this disease is, right? This virus. So why would anyone feel comfortable not working with someone who doesn't have the vaccines, right? It's just, it feels like it's necessary. Well, yeah, it is. But, you know, a lot of people don't get the flu vaccine. Are you worried about working with them? It's really about if you are making that decision for yourself to protect you, then obviously you would hope that your uh, team member would want to be protected. But that's kind of their own decision. If but that's also different, that though. I think we've learned that the flu and COVID-19 is completely different. It's not in the same ballpark. And so there's this idea where the amount of people who have died alone and, and the amount of time that we have been taken away out of our normal lives because of COVID-19, it's a different monster. So in this idea of us comparing the two, it just feels like it's inequated. It can't happen. And we need to play by different rules. And I understand there is a community of anti-vaxxers who are afraid of what they're putting in their bodies. I get it. But at the end of the day, I'm not seeing it being realistic that employers are going to allow this for a virus like COVID. It's just not going to happen, in my opinion. Yeah. Once again, this is going to be an interesting next few months because I think these are going to be bigger questions that are brought up and it's going to definitely hit um, certain ethical and moral questions and dilemmas. This brings up a lot of uh, dilemmas and and we've never really encountered something like this in our own lifetimes. So expect this more and more in your workplace or I don't even know how they're going to do that virtually, but possibly we'll see that virtually as well. Uh, now coming up on the show, the U.S. government wants to break up Facebook. How that would even work and what that could mean for all of us on these platforms next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Coming up on the show, how to deal with the coworker who is constantly complaining. Yeah, I mean, we all have had to deal with those people and who likes them, especially in the middle of a pandemic. It's just like we all have our own issues to worry about. Like, why will you be that person? Yeah, it can be rough. That's for sure. Plus, how Zoom is making us all much more vain. This is an intervention, Ryan. Oh, really? Okay. Wow. 
And we'll be uh, talking more about that and what's actually happening uh, next. But first, let's get into some what's trending this hour. New York Attorney General Letitia James, along with 47 state attorneys, have filed a sweeping antitrust lawsuit against Facebook. For nearly a decade, Facebook has used its dominance and monopoly power to crush smaller rivals and snuff out competition, all at the expense of everyday users. By using its vast troves of data and money, Facebook has squashed or hindered what the company perceived as potential threats. They've reduced choices for consumers. They stifled innovation and they degraded privacy protections for millions of Americans. Now, this is really big news. The, the Federal Trade Commission sued to break up Facebook on uh, asking a federal court to force the sell-off of assets such as Instagram or WhatsApp as independent businesses. So they just want Facebook to get rid of these very profitable parts of their business. Um, I like this because Facebook has done nothing but ruin Instagram. And to be honest, Facebook is running way too much in the digital world. And Mark Zuckerberg needs to be told to slow down a little bit because he's already influenced our politics. He's he's he's, he's doing an awful job at keeping Instagram updated in a way that benefits the consumer and actual people who like to use it. He wants to make it more of a sales tool. It's just gross. Honestly, I love these regulations that they're trying to put on him. Yeah, the announcement is a pretty big step that has been actually years in the making with Facebook and several other major U.S. tech companies having grown quickly in the past 10 years with little government oversight. Now, according to CNN, the House of Representatives voted today to pass a short-term funding bill to avert a government shutdown at the end of the week, buying more time for negotiations over sweeping legislation to keep the government funded along with additional pandemic relief. The stopgap bill, known as a continuing resolution, will extend the shutdown deadline from Friday, when funding is currently set to expire, to December 18th. And the hope among negotiators is that the additional time will be enough to not only strike a sweeping funding deal, but also to reach an agreement on a new round of COVID relief before key pandemic aid programs expire at the end of the year. And Congress leaves Washington for the holiday recess because, you know, they've got the holidays too. So uh, hopefully that will be enough time to figure something out. Now, I like this news, a little bit of a shift from our other news and politics and everything. As 2020 comes to an end, the Pantone Color Institute has forecasted the color that will best reflect the year ahead. You know, every year they announce these. Well, they have revealed not one, but two hues for its color of the year. Okay. Are you ready? All right. The uh, revelation is, and they are naming the neutral ultimate gray and vibrant yellow illuminating. Oh, now I like a gray and a yellow because that's really yeah. all it is. I don't know what makes it vibrant and illuminating all the adjectives, but whatever. Um, yeah. Yellow is my favorite color. So I do enjoy this. It is. I have not seen you in a lot of yellow, but hey. I don't, you don't have to wear yellow for it to be your favorite color. I'm not big bird. This is a debate. Let's start this debate. Now, uh, according to the VP of the Pantone Color Institute, now, according to the VP of the Pantone Color Institute, Lori Pressman, uh, she said it's a combination that speaks to the resilience, the optimism and hope and positivity that we need as we reset, renew, reimagine and reinvent. And it's actually the first time an achromatic shade gray has been selected. And the second time, two colors have been chosen. In 2016, the pale pink and blue hues, rose quartz and serenity, broke the norm when they were presented as a gradient. So there you go. Interesting uh, stuff to think about.
gray and yellow. I'm feeling it. And uh, that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? I mean, to be honest, gray and yellow sounds like every college dorm room that I've ever been in, but okay, I love it. Anyway, let's dive right into the T-Report, our pop culture moments that are trending right now. And let's just say this, Taylor Swift is doing more to provide COVID-19 relief than the federal government at this point. Um, she donated $13,000 each to GoFundMe campaigns to two mothers interviewed in the newspaper. Uh, the mother's names are Nikki Cornwell and Shelby uh, Sawelski. Uh, they were both scheduled for eviction hearings in January. Uh, Taylor left comments for both donation, noting that she heard about their stories in the article. Now, uh, this article was on the Washington Post, and um, here is what Taylor Swift wrote. She said, no one should have to feel the kind of stress that's been put on you. I hope you and your beautiful family have a great holiday season. Love, Taylor. Now, this is what she said to Shelby Sawelski, because Shelby just had a baby who was born with a collapsed lung, so she had to quit her hospital job due to the pandemic. Um, she then told her story to the Washington Post and started a GoFundMe. She said one day she was standing in the kitchen when a notification popped up saying someone named Taylor had donated $13,000, um, which is insane. And obviously, y'all know I've been hard on Taylor Swift if you've been a OG fan of the show, but she is really changing it up and she is really doing some incredible things that our own government can't seem to get. And that is your tea report and an early yes queen all right love it now uh, coming up on the show is zoom really making us all get more plastic surgery the latest trend behind this industry boom that's next let's go there with shira and ryan the new channel q in the past we've talked about plastic surgery going up because of all those snapchat and instagram filters and now there's another tech platform causing an increase and it's zoom Okay, we wanted to bring in our favorite plastic surgeon, Dr. Andre Panosian, to help us navigate this and what's going on. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, how's business been for you? It has actually been amazingly good. And it doesn't seem to match what's going on in the world right now, but you got to thank some of the uh, uh, telemedicine, teleconferencing technology out there for this boom right now including Zoom. Well, I guess, what does that look like? Because obviously things, there's different protocols. We're in a pandemic. You got to do things safely. So how are you handling these new patients and previous patients that you're working on? Right. So it's it's amazingly, uh, there's two reasons really why this is happening, I think. Right now, a lot of people are finding time for these elective procedures to be done because they are locked down. They're not going to work. They're you're basically telecommuting. And so it's easy for them to hide their recovery. So that's one thing. So they can wear a mask to cover a lot of the stuff. For example, rhinoplasty or things done to the lips or the lower face, you can easily cover that up. And then the other aspect is because of our reliance on staying at home and telecommuting and all that, we're using Zoom and Skype and FaceTime and all these other uh, teleconferencing modalities way more than ever before. So people are kind of getting a weird angle uh, on those videos of themselves and they're freaking out a little bit. So what are you seeing in terms of an increase of like, what are people wanting to get done because of what they're seeing on Zoom? Sure. Yeah. I mean, everything from obviously rhinoplasty is one thing uh, to things, uh, a lot of facial contouring, believe it or not, a lot of liposuction under the chin, in the lower face. 
buccal fat pad removal. There's a little fat pad inside your cheek that gives you a little bit of a moon face sometimes. And we remove it to get a little bit more of a contoured look, you know, fillers, tons of fillers, Botox, uh, lip lifts, believe it or not, uh, uh, where people have a little bit of an elongated lip and then we kind of tuck that up there and it just gives them this youthful look. So a lot of these sort of procedures are happening. So it's really a lot of it from here to here, neck to top of the head is what we're doing. Fascinating. Dr. Andre Panosian joins us right now, who's a plastic surgeon. So how should we be thinking about this? Because it's cosmetic surgery because of Zoom. Is that enough of a reason to get your whole face done? Very good point. I think in uh, as a doctor, as a person who cares for other human being beings, it is a little bit disturbing to want to alter your appearance based on what you are seeing on a video camera pointed at yourself. I think uh, I, I think we, as you know, common citizens, are getting a taste of what celebrities frequently see when they do their you know shows and things on on camera. So we're seeing that now. But of course, a lot of times Zoom Zoom is happening from a lower angle up, and that is not a flattering look for a lot of people. And so you couple that with what's going on in social media with all these beautiful people on social media and how great they look and they're, you know, they just make up perfectly. And all of a sudden people are thinking, oh my gosh, this is, this is something I need to do right now to improve my overall image, improve my overall self-esteem, everything up and down that, uh, that sort of psychological chain. Definitely. Are, are there payment plans? Because, you know, we're in, uh, it feels like we're a recession, a ton of unemployment. How are people paying for these procedures? Right. I mean, that was the one thing that really caught me off guard is thinking like, okay, there goes the practice because, you know, everyone's at home, no one's working, no one's making money. Uh, but, you know, people have saved, you know, uh, over the years and they're using some of those savings now. And in other cases there, we have financing programs just for people who come in for uh, regular cosmetic surgery in the absence of a pandemic. So, they're tapping into those avenues as well. So you're seeing a boom in the financing industry as well for these things. So it's a really interesting phenomenon happening right now. So I guess how um, do people have to take COVID tests before coming in to like, obviously get the surgery done? Like what are some of the safety protocols that you've taken that you've had to do now? Sure. So in my office, we don't get COVID tests for people walking in the door. We <clears throat> essentially will ask if they're feeling you know, down or flu-like symptoms are, are, are happening or anything like that. We don't check temperatures or anything for, per se. Most people are pretty good about staying home when, don't, when they don't feel well. Right. Uh, but when we go to surgery, they, yes, there are protocols. We have to get a COVID screen about 72 hours before uh, the actual date of surgery. And then, and then patients have to promise to quarantine between that time and the actual surgery date. And then as long as they're feeling okay on the day of surgery, we proceed. And it's, luckily, it's been fine. No one's really contracted COVID uh, with this sort of protocol in place. So that's good. Cool. All right. Well, Dr. Andre Panosian, thank you so much for joining us. Of course. My pleasure. Fascinating. And congratulations on all the business. That was uh, Dr. Andre, <laughs> who's a plastic surgeon. Now coming up on the show, why you instantly dislike certain people according to science. We'll be back in two minutes. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. We've all been there. You meet someone and get that vibe. I don't like this person. We don't mesh. So where do our intuitive negative feelings about a person stem from? Back with us is clinical psychologist, Dr. Josh Claypo. Thanks for being here. Good to be here. Good to talk about this topic. 
yeah. So tell us about this hate at first sight phenomenon. It's incredibly primal. It really represents our most basic self. And if you think about it from an evolutionary standpoint, it's very protective, right? So our ability to size somebody up very quickly in terms of our physical safety, if you will, that's why it's designed. Our, and, and, you know, the, our amygdala in particular and sort of where our emotions and cognitions come together has to happen quickly from a a protective standpoint, right? So the idea basically is if I look at you and you present some sort of uh, sense of danger, then it gives me an opportunity to leave and save myself. The problem you run into is that in in a modern world, it's not always about danger. And so what we tend to do is we tend to go on these very reflexive um, responses and we make judgments based on that. And because we're feeling it, we then sort of have a confirmation bias. Something doesn't feel right. And so then we just fill in with our more evolved brain all the reasons why it's not. And we very often don't ever explore with that person why you don't like them. Well, what's so interesting is I feel like I am really good at knowing if I'm going to like someone or not on my first impression. Like I've always had that discernment. But to flip it, I've also had friends who I'm friends with now told told me that they didn't like me at one point before we (laughs) became friends. So if you are on that opposite end, if you're like the person that is like automatically not liked, is there something that you have to change? Like, how do you handle that? Like, what does that necessarily mean? Yeah, well, so here's the thing. It's one thing if if one person doesn't like you, you know, you just don't mesh for whatever reason and they don't like you quickly. But if you're the person who's not liked instantly by lots of people, then it's not that it's not a primal thing. I mean, you're either it's either your facial expressions, it's your body language or it's the words that you say. I mean, that those are the other cues that we take. And, And I'll tell you this, Ryan, I do see a lot of people who are misread. They're misinterpreted. Um, and the ones who are misinterpreted very often are the ones who have more extreme uh, emotional presentation or behavioral presentation. People who are very shy are very are often seen as aloof and sort of self-serving. People who are very extroverted are seen as big and brash and hysterical, right? And, and the reality is they're misread by the people who's, who, who are using their sort of basic instincts and making assumptions. They're quiet, so they must be aloof. They must not care. They're, they're full of themselves because they're so loud. That's, that's the problem is, and the, and the answer to it is, even if you think you're a great judge of character, if you instantly don't like a person, then you need to give it about five to 10 minutes more of interaction before you make that decision. Yeah, again, you're hearing from psychologist, Dr. Josh Claypo. Well, yeah, I think there's a few things to think about you here. Uh, being more self-aware in terms of how you present, but also allowing yourself to be yourself and being at peace with that. But then on the flip side, if you're the person who's um, on the judging side of it, calling yourself out if you're judging people too much, because I feel like there's uh, room for growth on both sides. Absolutely. And, well, and what Ryan said is really important. We all do have this gut instinct, which is fine, but it doesn't mean you have to act on it immediately. And particularly if you haven't interacted with the person, you know, you've said maybe two or three words. I always tell people, you know, five to 10 minutes of interaction. If you don't like them then, okay. But if it's based on the first word and the word is pretty neutral, 
and just your gut's telling you, then fine, take that as a bit of yeah. information. But you don't have to make your whole judgment on it. 10 minutes. That's not a lot of time. <laughs> like 10 I, minutes. Think it, I do think that's a good amount of time, to be honest. Yeah, but let's talk about where this could become problematic, right? Like, especially in places where folks are in leadership positions and they are making oh. these decisions, um, you know, whether hiring someone and they have an automatic being like, oh, no, I don't like them instead of giving them a fair chance. Where Have you seen that in these leadership oh. positions? Like, what is that? What's happening there? And how do we change that? I see it all the time. I see it every day because what people say is, well, I'm going with my gut. I'm going with my gut. My guts, my gut tells me. And, and, and what I have to tell leaders is that's fine. Let your gut give you one bit of information, but then take in more than one source of information because your gut is only one source of information. The worst thing that you can do is make that kind of snap decision where the decision has a huge impact on someone's life, mm. like a job, like a relationship, you know, those are the kinds of things where you have to give it more time and see if your gut's right. Because guess what, guys, your gut is not always right, despite the fact that everybody believes that their gut is always right. So is there an exercise or questions you can ask yourself so that you're not as reactive? Yeah. So the, the, the first exercise is be quiet <laughs> and don't say anything after your gut is telling you that something's not right with this person. The second thing is ask yourself, what is it that I, that I don't like or that's turning me off? Because people say, I just have a feeling that that's not enough. What don't you like? Is it the way they speak? Is it the way they look? Is it their body language? Be able to identify what you don't like. And then the third thing is test that out by interacting with them. Is it just, is it a one-time occurrence that maybe they said something or did something that, that rubbed you the wrong way? Or is there a consistent pattern? And my, my hypothesis is usually pretty right on. In about 10 minutes of interaction, probably no. All right, you're sticking around with us uh, because coming up on the show, we're gonna talk about how to deal with the coworker who's constantly complaining. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. It happens to all of us. Either we've been the complainer or we've encountered someone who's constantly complaining at work and the pandemic hasn't helped. So what do you do about it? Back with us is clinical psychologist, Dr. Josh Claypo. So uh, this is an issue for a lot of us. Yes, it is. Um, my wife says I do that all the time. I complain you're, all the time. You complain oh, a lot. You're the oh. complainer. Yeah, I'm a complainer. I'm a complainer. I uh, always, I'm always looking at it. Yeah, uh, but it's different because she can just tell me to shut up because she's my <laughs> wife. Um, at work, it becomes a much different thing. And, and there's two categories that you have to think about at work with complainers. Number one is, is it a person who's complaining just to you? Is it a one-on-one -on -one or is it a group situation? And even in the pandemic, when we're talking group Zoom, there's a big difference between someone who's complaining, if you will, in a public arena with lots of people versus a someone complaining with you. You have to handle it differently. Oh, so what do you do? If it's you, just one-on-one, -on -one, I mean, you always give people the grace of let them complain a couple times. But if it's every time, you, you can call them out in a polite way and say, you know, I noticed that you, you seem to have a lot of things that you're concerned about. And what's that all about? And, and the reason I do it in a question way, it kind of sounds like a shrink, but the reason I do it in a question way is because what you're trying to understand is why are they complaining so much? Sometimes people are unaware of it and it's just habit. So asking them what's that all about, help me understand, is very helpful. But why should I care? 
if they are really irritating me and they're constantly complaining and it's starting to be a pattern, why should I care enough to be like asking them, well, is everything okay? Because clearly they're letting me know that it's not on a regular basis. Because for some, for some people, Ryan, it's really habitual. I mean, they're just, they don't even realize that they're quote complaining. It's just sort of a negative, uh, it's a negative approach. And, and that's why I'm saying is rather than telling them, hey, you're getting on my nerves, you're constantly complaining, asking them to see if they're even aware of it. And if they say, oh, I'm not complaining, you then can say, well, you know, every time you come in here, you're telling me something else is bad, something else is bad, something else is bad. So, so you don't lead with you complain all the time on a one-to-one. And does it matter what they're complaining about? Is that really kind of a gauge, a system to gauge? Because if they're complaining about things that are happening in the workplace that are actual genuine worries, then I get it because that means there needs to be a culture change. But if they're just complaining about, oh, my God, I can't believe how sunny it is today, (laughs) then that's an issue. It is, but both can get on your nerves. I mean, and and it affects people differently. Somebody who's complaining about the work, the, the advantage about complaining about work only is then you're in a position to say, okay, well, what should we do about it? What are you doing about it? What are we going to do about it? If it's someone who's complaining about everything, then you can say sort of what's going on. Help me understand this because you're, you're, every time you talk to me, something else is going on. If it's a group setting, I, I am very hesitant about calling somebody out in a group setting. If you're in a leadership position, then you take that person to the side. And what you basically say is not that you're annoying me, but you say, you know what? The way you interact with this group is really bringing us down. Help me understand what's going on. Listen, y'all, help me understand what's going on Mm. is the best psychological phrase you can use in any situation. So interesting. Come from a place of compassion while looking towards action. Uh, Dr. Josh Claypo, thanks again for being here. Thanks, guys. Uh, Now coming up on the show, YouTube is taking a stand against claims of election fraud. Their big announcement next on What's Trending This Hour. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Coming up on the show, we're looking at the business behind being Santa during a pandemic. If you've been wondering, by the way, how the Santa business is staying alive, well, we've got the Santa himself, Santa Ed, joining us on the show for that. Uh-uh. His name, I don't know when Santa had a name change, but his name is Santa Claus. Yeah, well, Santa Ed Claus, you know. You know how it works. <laughs> anyway, all right. Uh, but let's get into some what's trending this hour right now. We're going to the moon, baby. Today, uh, NASA named the 18 astronauts who will train to fly to the moon. The reveal happened at an event in Florida with guests including VP Mike Pence. Pence spoke about the importance of space exploration and the U.S. Space Force. Space itself represents a warfighting domain, and we will be prepared to defend our nation and defend our freedom in space with the United States Space Force. Now, the Artemis Astronaut Corps will include nine women and nine men. Bloomberg reported today that 80% of the nation's counties saw more travel than last year, despite pleas from the CDC to stay home amid rising rates of COVID-19. Now, the cell phone location data compiled by SafeGraph, they literally compiled our cell phone location data, okay? It shows that 22% of Americans were not in their residence on Thanksgiving day. One in eight people traveled at least 30 miles 
Americans in Western and Northeastern states were more, most likely to travel, increasing the populations by 50% or more in a majority of U.S. counties. That's according to that data as well. Now, those travel numbers did not correspond with an increase in flights, though. The number of people flying dropped 60% this Thanksgiving compared to last, and that's according to TSA figures. How interesting is that? I said, I guess that's kind of hopeful because of that last little bit. Um, but I mean, it's awful. We don't follow the rules. It's awful. I'm just weirded out by the cell phone location data stuff. Like it, <laughs> I, that's what weirds well, me out the most. That doesn't weird me out. I mean, it feels like that's obvious that they would be able to pull that. Yeah, they're like following you. How, how many miles do you travel, Ryan? <laughs> okay. Now, YouTube announced in a blog post that it will begin removing content published starting today that, quote, misleads people by alleging that widespread fraud or errors changed the outcome of the 2020 U.S. presidential election. The company has recently taken steps to label election-related posts and direct users to authoritative news sources regarding the outcome, but they actually didn't outright ban unsubstantiated claims of a rigged election. YouTube said it would begin enforcing the policy now that the deadline for states to conclude any disputes over the election results passed yesterday on Tuesday. They added, we will begin enforcing this policy today and will ramp up in the week's to come. Of course, Democrats have been asking for this, but I'm sure this will add more fuel to the fire for Trump and his GOP allies. And that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? All right. So let's dive into the T-Report, those pop culture stories that are trending right now. Ariana Grande, she has given us an early Christmas present and has announced, excuse me, I love you, a new Netflix film capturing her sweetener tour, which I went to twice, one with you and then one at Coachella. It was a moment. Who knew I was going to see Ariana Grande twice? And Cher was shocked, by the way, just a little side note, Cher was shocked that I knew all the words to all the songs. It was like me surrounded by 12-year-old white girls and I was singing every <laughs> lyric. It was a moment. It was, it was incredible. Funny. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, this project, uh, she said in a statement, she said, I know this project only captures some of uh, some of one tour and out of all of the hundreds of shows and moments we have shared over the past six or more seven years. But I just wanted to thank you all for showing me more in this lifetime already than I've ever dreamed of. And so the movie comes to Netflix on December 21st. Um, of course, a trailer will be dropping tomorrow. So stick around for that. We'll probably play a little bit of it in the tea report for tomorrow. Um, also, Jessica Simpson, another pop diva, she's taking her life to the small screen. She just signed a deal with Amazon Studios to executive produce a fictionalized series as well as an unscripted docu-series in Inspired by her tell-all memoir, Open Books. She said, I am humbled and honored to partner with Amazon Studios to bring the story um, and my story and heart to life on the screen and executive produce a fictionalized coming-of-age series about my mid-20s. I mean, she got a lot coming on, and I'm, I'm excited about this. Yeah, hey, might as well use and abuse your life. You lived it for a reason. She's been in the news a lot, a lot. She actually just revealed that she's dyslexic. So, um, yeah, she's most definitely revealing, revealing all. And that is your tea report. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. We're wrapping up the show as we always do with our Yes Queen of the Day. Yes, Queen. And, of course, we love to highlight 
organizations, individuals doing amazing things for the community. And check it. We're so excited to have Peter Anthony back with us from Miami Beach Pride because, uh, Peter, you all are doing such amazing things over there. You have the Miami Beach Pride Queerathon coming up on December 19th, 7 p.m. Tell us more about it. Yeah, so we're super excited. The Queerathon Variety Show and Silent Auction is kind of like paying homage to the days of the telethon, sketch comedy, and live entertainment. So imagine like a Saturday Night Live mixed with an old school sort of like Jerry Lewis style telethon. We're going to put that all together and it's going to be over the top and crazy. I mean, I love this. I think this is so creative and so wonderful. Are there uh, performances? Like how, how does that happen? We have a bunch of performances from our local drag queens. We've got appearances by Andy Cohen. We've got Bruce Valanche who's hosting. We've got Carson Cressley, Leah Delaria. Lunell is going to do a comedy <gasps> set for us. It's going to be, yes. So they're all gonna. We've all they've all rallied around us as a community, LGBTQ plus community, and they're just coming in, showing their love, and entertaining you guys. And you're also raising funds for uh, Preserve Pride. Can you talk to us more about that? What that's all about? Yeah, due to the cancellation of our festival in 2020, you know that's really the way that we remain solvent and, and sustainable here, and we weren't able to have that because of COVID. So this was our um, attempt to sort of reimagine and pivot very quickly to raise money for our organization so that we can continue to provide arts and cultural programming for our community. Um, we're excited to say that we will be back in 2021, um, full steam ahead with our Pride celebration. Um, but for the rest of this year, uh, this is really what's going to be saving our behind. Okay, so where can everyone find out more? All the goodness, all the tea. Tell us. All the tea at MiamiBeachPride.com. We have a silent auction going on so people can bid on some amazing items. We're giving away a Lexus. You can purchase raffle tickets. Oh! Everything there on the website. You want a Lexus? Yes, Go to the website. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Well, Peter, we love having you on and everything you all are doing there. And hopefully we get to see you in Miami in the near future in person at a certain point so we can partay. Yes, I've got a VIP spot for you in the tent reserved. Yes. I don't think Shira deserves to be in the VIP for her saying partay and check it earlier. (laughs) (laughs) Peter Anthony with Miami Beach Pride. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. And that does it for our Yes Queen of the Day. Yes, Queen. And that also does it for our entire show today. But don't you worry. We're back tomorrow. Weekdays here for you on Channel Q, live 4 to 7 p.m. Pacific, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. On tomorrow's show, we're going to be breaking down why the U.S. government wants Facebook to sell off Instagram and WhatsApp. Mm, I mean, I love that idea, but really what's going on? Exactly. And how this is going to impact other uh, tech companies, plus the history behind why many Black Americans don't trust a COVID-19 vaccine. Yep, there's so much history there, and we're going to dive in. And if you missed any of our show today or our previous shows and interviews, we post everything as a podcast. Just go to the radio.com app or where our podcasts are available and search Let's Go There. It's that easy. Now we are sending you love and lights. And honey, remember to slay. Stick around for Loveline, where Dr. Chris, right after this, is covering a lot of stuff, including interviewing Ian Jenkins, who has a new book called Three Dads and a Baby. That's next. Let's go there with Shira Lazar and Ryan Mitchell on Channel Q. On the next show, we're diving in on the history behind why many Black Americans don't trust a COVID-19 vaccine. Plus, we're also breaking down why the U.S. government wants Facebook to sell off Instagram and WhatsApp and what that means for other tech companies. 
Listen live weekdays, 4 to 7 p.m. Pacific, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Channel Q or on your own time with the Let's Go There podcast on the Radio.com app.